we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Here's some of the stories we are following today on America Out Loud Pulse is this new variant XE. Very, very interesting coming out of the UK. Uh, then you see this removal of the monoclonal antibodies. A little bit of a story there going on. And, and one of my favorite stories is the CDC director, you'll love this one, uh, Rochelle Walensky, announces sweeping review of the agency. We're going to make some changes. I think potentially they're going to need a, a new PR campaign of sorts. Uh, Dr. McCullough, I could probably run that to actually that to PR campaign for them. You think I could do a good job for the CDC or are they beyond hope? I think you could. You've had a clearly a much more targeted approach in improving the public health, I think, than the CDC has. <laughs> I don't know what you'd say to that, but I like it. I like it. I'm going to take that. We're also going to get to a lot of questions today. We have a lot of good stuff here. And a welcome uh, to uh, America Out Loud Pulse. Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough is here with, uh, with yours truly, Malcolm Out Loud. And uh, uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about the other episodes. By the way, I, I was listening to Dr. Marilyn Singleton on the Monday episode. And man, was she on fire. Gotta love it. So different uh, hosts every day on Pulse, which keeps it exciting in the drive time at 5 p.m. Eastern time. But we'll come back to that a little bit. So... All right, so you're hearing this new variant, XE. What I understand it now, this is, as I understand, Dr. McCullough, it's a subvariant of, of the Omicron. It's been found in the United Kingdom, uh, and the World Health Organization has made this announcement. Uh, it's a, it's a uh, compromised of genetic material from the two uh, strains of BA1 and BA2, I understand. Uh, again, first detected in the United Kingdom. We're looking at already over 600 cases. Now they're saying it's even more transmissible. I mean, I, I always kind of shrug my shoulders when they say that. How much more transmissible can one be? Omicron was really transmissible. What do you make of this XE? The transmissibility index, uh, there are some that are actually derived just from theoretical models based on the spike protein configuration at the receptor binding domain. And then some are in vitro, where they literally try to see, compared to some reference standard, uh, whether or not the, the virus can actually replicate and move from cell to cell in a more transmissible pattern. You know, when uh, Omicron first came out, I commented on national TV that I thought it was an evolutionary mistake. It was just too mutated. It had uh, an insertion uh, as opposed to deletion and substitution mutations, which was highly unusual. And sure enough, I was right because uh, we ended up having the BA1 subvariant and now BA2 subvariant and now something in between, which is XE. Uh, this is in a sense, good news because those who've had Omicron, the big Omicron uh, wave, which involved in some studies, our CDC December 10th uh, release indicated that 79% of those who developed Omicron were fully vaccinated. And even the European Health Agency said that Omicron in a sense was a natural booster, whether it's BA1, BA2 or XE, it looks like the immunity is going to uh, cover all three. And in a sense, it's working like an additional booster. So we don't, you don't have any expectation now that these subvariants could, I mean, it doesn't, I'm, I'm guessing it doesn't seem likely at all. They could ever become more extreme than what we've seen already, right? It's true. I, I mean, there are additional, there's X, uh, D is in David, and X, F is in Frank. 
these uh, also pick up some mutations from uh, Delta. So uh, right. we know that certainly the virus is is changing and uh, you know going through what's called recombination. But it was already shown in a paper earlier uh, that that um, you know immunity to Omicron gave back immunity to Delta. So I still think we're good. We still have not seen this uh, jump in phylogeny to SARS-CoV-3, which is wonderful. And we haven't seen a jump to what's called uh, what I think is uh, many have warned about what's called antibody dependent enhancement, where we actually start to see a more virulent strain. We haven't seen this, but progressively more mild each time. Now I got to ask you, you, you're not, when you mentioned SARS-CoV-3, just that you've got my antenna up a moment here. You're not, um, I mean, that would be a whole new strain, wouldn't it? Right. That would be, a, actually, that would be a whole new um, a, a genus and species. Right. And uh, that's what we would call skipping phylogeny, where it, it changes so much that we basically have to say it's a new virus. Uh, we haven't seen that yet. And I think what's happening is we are uh, between Omicron, maybe a little bit of a Delta, and the virus is moving around the globe, finding susceptible pockets, those who truly have never had COVID, and then those who are fully vaccinated. Those are really the susceptible individuals. In much of this, we sort of expected with these subvariants, and it comes back to the discussion we've had about uh, herd immunity, and that at some point, this thing kind of fades into the sunset. That's the plan, right? That's exactly what's happening. It's indistinguishable from the common cold. I mean, I have for months now, I have not had severe cases that need uh, the McCullough protocol, the sequence multidrug therapy. Really what they need is just good, uh, you know, good general care uh, and what we call the virocidal nasal and oral washes. That's really the primary way we're handling it now. Okay, this next story, the removal of the monoclonal antibodies. Now, this is something we surely have talked about a lot. The, there were a lot of su- success uh, metrics and studies that were showing very, very favorable things about this. I know because we were actually dealing with this when my wife was in there as well. Uh, it was an important ingredient. It was sort of like another measure. Uh, you try everything you can. It's like throwing, like uh, I would say, Dr. McCullough, it's almost like throwing the kitchen sink at it. The monoclonal antibodies is one more thing in the arsenal to throw against this dangerous uh, SARS-CoV-2 episode here. Uh, now I understand there's removal of it, uh, and the, the federal government is asking to remove it from the states and all of that. Is this, tell me what's going on here. Is this more political or is this, is this uh, uh, real? I think it's premature. There have been modeling studies, one by Gilliam and colleagues from South Africa, yeah. suggesting that Omicron would not be responsive to the Regeneron a uh, pair of monoclonal antibodies, uh, carisivimab and indimimab. And now there's been some recent modeling uh, studies suggesting the BA2 variant may not be responsive to sotorivimab, which is the GlaxoSmithKline product, which really was featured for resistant variants. And I think it's premature because why? Because I, I, you know, I just gave you the data that uh, we've seen back mutations where the virus is mutating to back more towards Delta. So XD is in David, XF is in Frank. Uh, they have a mix of Delta and Omicron BA1. That would be fully responsive to Regeneron and certainly responsive to Sotorivimab. I think it's premature. And uh, I do have to make the curious observation that our government, uh, which has pre-purchased these high-tech, expensive products from Operation Warp Speed, is so quick to pull these products off the market based on theoretical modeling studies without any clinical data whatsoever, 
uh, and they've been safe and effective all the way through the pandemic, but yet at the same time, they refuse to pull the uh, genetic vaccines off the market as they've lost efficacy. Clearly, uh, you know, from modeling perspective and from a clinical perspective, the vaccines uh, don't cover the most recent variants, yet the vaccines are pushed uh, very strongly and the monoclonal antibodies, which are a form of treatment for people sick, uh, where the vaccines are actually applied to people who are well. So the sick people lose out again with this government move to take away monoclonal antibodies. Well, I'll tell you what, I think you nailed it with that comment. That's a drum roll comment if there ever was one. Your comparison to the vaccines, just think about that, friends out there. Just think. They were never quick to do anything there. They should leave them on there. And the numbers were piling up and we've seen everything. We report on it and that was all fine and good to go. But all of a sudden, things that are helping to the degree we believe they are, and they want to pull that off right away. And by the way, your tweet on that was a classic. I got to tell listeners now, uh, I love these. You put some thought into the tweet. You say here, a Biden administration quick to pull uh, therapeutics from sick patients uh, based on theoretical modeling studies, holding fast, obsolete, precious genetic versus all OWS and high dollar virus mutate into escape. Why take away options for the older acute patients while coercing the healthy? You nailed it right there, right? You know, isn't it true that these vaccines, which are fundamentally obsolete, we have data uh, from Hansen, from Acorsi, from uh, the UK Health Security Report. Uh, we have uh, data from uh, a large New York State uh, uh, study of children. Uh, basically, the vaccines don't cover Omicron. They, they really don't. They are obsolete. And uh, clinically, they aren't doing anything. Yet they're being pushed and mandated. The uh, monoclonal antibodies still safe and effective. The virus is still actively mutating. And uh, we have no clinical data suggesting the monoclonal antibodies have failed whatsoever. There still are going to be some sick patients. Why not have the monoclonal antibodies in our armamentarium? Now, thankfully, uh, even with Regeneron and the the Lily uh, the GlaxoSmithKline Sotirivimab product off the market. We still have Lily um, Abortilibumab, uh, which is only a two cc infusion, so it's a very quick infusion of a monoclonal antibody. And then we have the um, AstraZeneca product, which is not an acute treatment, but it's a preventive called EvuShield. Right, I've been hearing a lot more about that one. Uh, before we get to a lot of questions, uh, great questions coming up here, I, I want to get this other breaking uh, news story about the CDC, and you're going to love all this one here. So the uh, director, uh, Rochelle Walensky, uh, she announces a sweeping review of the agency. And this was like, okay, like uh, we, the, we, any of us could have seen this coming. You have to believe the, the PR for these government agencies is in, in the tank for sure. Uh, Walensky says at, at the conclusion of this collective effort, we will develop new systems and processes uh, to deliver our science. I love the words, our science. Uh, just, just, just me speaking here, and program to the American people, along with a plan for how CDC should be structured to facilitate the public health work we do. Uh, she wrote this in an email to the staff, and well, I'll tell you, I'd love to get my two cents in on that uh, uh, meeting, or I'd love to be a fly on the wall on that meeting. Um, so this is a one-month review they're doing, uh, McCullough, is what they're doing here, okay? And it's to, how do you say, what, well, what Walensky says, it's to sort of, uh, uh, it, it's in the face of this 
mountain public scrutiny uh, that they're doing this be, with COVID-19, the pandemic and all. So it starts on April 11th. Uh, Jim McRae, the administrator of this, will begin evaluating the agency's COVID-19 politics and will provide uh, Walensky with insight on how the delivery of our science, again, there's those words, our science and program, uh, can be further strengthened during this critical time of transition. You know, that may be a flub of words, uh, Dr. McCullough, but I have to tell you, uh, you know, the fact that they've said twice the yeah, our science, that was always the argument to me. It was, it was supposed to be the science, not your science or our science or my science or his science or her science. But what about, what, where's the science, right? I mean, that was always the argument here. You know, it's uh, it's painting the, um, the backdrop here for, uh, what's probably going to be, and the word transition was in there, which I thought was it was also a telling uh, for some changes in personnel, for sure. Um, I think if we've learned anything here, the CDC should never administer a public program, never. Uh, it's been a disaster, them administering the vaccine program with the FDA. The CDC should always be an outbreak investigation unit. Uh, what they did well is they did very well with the Departments of Community Health in doing the genetic analysis on the strains. What's called the NowCast system worked very well. Uh, I think what they did uh, horribly uh, was uh, promoting the vaccines without evaluating uh, the uh, safety and efficacy. They never did a report from VAERS telling us why uh, patients were dying quickly after the vaccine, why there were so many non-fatal uh, events. And then uh, the CDC on their general recommendations out there, masks, no masks, hand sanitizer, no hand sanitizer. It was absolutely a, a disaster. We'd be better off actually with no CDC recommendations there. They should have been running the NowCast system, analyzing data. We should have had a separate group form to administer the vaccine program and give monthly reports on safety. And then I think the rest of what happened ought to have really been at a local level based on you know relative needs. So. You know, what you say there, I think, is very striking. In other words, what you, I think what you say with the administrator of the vaccines and the decision processes, uh, potentially that should have been done with an independent uh, body, is what you're saying? It is, because, uh, you know, administration of a program really takes clinical people who understand right. drug and product safety, and they have to have quality control. Uh, there was absolutely no quality control. And you saw what happened. I mean, the, the worldwide program was a disaster. You know, the Japanese turned away millions of doses of Moderna because it had particulate matter in there. There was just no yeah. quality control over the, the product. Yeah, it, it became very political. It all became very political. And everybody was, I mean, you could just see that. And, you know, the damage that was done sincerely now to these government agencies uh, is... I mean, it's it's catastrophic, I think. I don't think anybody has confidence in any of these groups anymore, <clears throat> which leads me to actually a first question because it's related to this story. And let me bring on this one now. This is from uh, Poppy, actually. And, and listen to this one here. It says, my husband desperately uh, wants our healthy boys ages 12 and 14 to get the COVID vaccine, okay? He keeps insisting and dogmatically so that the vaccines are 100% safe and effective, and also that no long-term studies are needed because, hey, he says it's been verified that the vaccine completely clears the body in a very short period of time. She says, I presented him with the various uh, data thinking, well, this would make him at least a little more wary of the safety of the vaccines. However, he says 
that they're experts at the FDA and the CDC and whose sole job is to analyze those various reports and determine if they're valid or associated with the vaccine. And he says, since those experts, and I quote experts, have not found any evidence that the reports are linked to the vaccine, there is absolutely no reason to pay any attention to the VAERS data at this time, that it's not the public's job to draw any conclusions about the VAERS reports. The, this woman, this wife, this mother of two children and husband of this uh, man, says, how can I respond to this? Help me, Dr. McCullough and Malcolm. I'll throw that one at you, Dr. McCullough. <laughs> the CDC just doesn't have uh, the clinical role of declaring something safe and effective. They don't. And um, whether they're running uh, far behind on analyzing the data or they don't have the clinical competencies or uh, they simply are deceiving Americans. Um, the, the words uh, safe and effective can't be applied to these vaccines. There have been record numbers of deaths that have happened shortly after the vaccine. And uh, they are so temporally related to the vaccine that unless these deaths are explained to America, they must be assumed to be due to the vaccine until proven otherwise. And they haven't told us why people die at such a high rate just a few days after the vaccine. Now, the FDA has declared that the vaccines cause myocarditis, and I believe she has two boys. It causes myocarditis. So they cannot be safe. They cannot be safe. The FDA has this warning. It causes heart damage. I'm a cardiologist. I'm here to tell you any heart damage is unacceptable. Now there are fatal cases of myocarditis published in the literature. So the CDC cannot call them safe when there's fatal cases of myocarditis in the literature. There's fatal cases of other uh, vaccine injury syndrome. So we cannot take that in a court of law. That would be what's considered judicial notice, meaning that they say it, the sky is blue, the sky is blue. We can't take the CDC's interpretation of safe as um, as judicial notice. Now, effectiveness, we have no data now with the Omicron variant. We have no randomized trials demonstrating efficacy whatsoever. And we have many, many observational studies that show efficacy is far less than 50%. Meaning anytime a vaccine is less than 50% coverage, it's basically useless. And to make matters worse, the vaccines, all experts agree, only last six months. So with a father, it's not a one-time thing to take the kids to get vaccinated. He has to decide whether or not he's going to commit them to every six-month injections that have less than a 50% coverage and that our FDA is telling America are not safe because they cause heart damage. Well, I am sure Poppy is going to sit down with her husband and listen to this broadcast because I'm going to email her back specifically that it's being played here, uh, that she'll hear this, as I do all listeners here. And uh, she'll hear it, uh, your explanation, because she ends with it and says, please help, uh, exclamation mark. I'm trying to protect my two healthy children from this vaccine. Well, you just gave a litany of things right there uh, in what you played back there, uh, Dr. McCullough, as far as why the husband should not do this to the two boys. They are far better off not having this. So end, end of story, right? That's it. They are. Right now, you know, people have asked me, can you think of a scenario where the benefits of the vaccines would outweigh the risks? And even with childs with severe cystic fibrosis or congenital heart and lung disease, we now have treatments. The good news for the mother and father is, uh, for instance, the monoclonal antibodies, the 
uh, Lily, uh, uh, a board to ribbon map, for instance, you know, that's utilized down to age 12 now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Paxlovid, the new Pfizer drug used down to age 12, we still use uh, ivermectin, uh, hydroxychloroquine easily can be used in that age uh, group, prednisone, uh, the other drugs. So it's a very treatable illness. If they develop severe symptoms, there's no reason to risk these vaccines. There you go. Okay. All right. Now there are, uh, again, a lot of questions here. I've got some on one of the, all right. The most shared post we've had ever on America Out Loud is the povidine iodine post. And people ask me, you know, how can they get that post? I mean, it's readily available, friends. It's right where it says COVID resources on the front page of AmericaOutLoud.com. You cannot miss it. If you go to the left sidebar partway down under COVID resources, it has a home there. It's always there for you. Uh, along with others, uh, some of the biggest studies and some other under COVID resources there. You'll also find it on Dr. Peter McCullough and the McCullough Reports pages in the nav bar. Um, and there are some questions coming up in a moment. We'll talk about in the povidine iodine. But here's what I'd like to do right now. Uh, one of our new partners I want to bring out and talk to you a moment about, you know, Dr. McCullough, one of the biggest questions, and I think you would probably agree with this, although you don't see every question that comes in here because there's far too many, uh, you get a lot of them, but uh, is on povidine iodine. This nasal wash has been the biggest thing. And I started to get onto this over the past year when we realized this nasal washing was a big deal. When you started bringing it up on the Q&As we were having, Dr. McCullough, right? We realized what a big deal this was and that people were using it very effectively, but they get messed up sometimes with the dilution and so on and so forth. And a lot of questions always come in and still come into this day about they get thrown with that or they don't want to mix it wrong or they're having problems. Well, one of the new partners I'm pleased to tell you about is Cofix RX. And what's happening is it's all done for you. The mixing is all there. The main ingredient in this is povidine iodine, as well as other great ingredients in there to help for the nasal wash. And I'm guessing, Dr. McCullough, and I, everything I've learned about this and learned from you on this, the nasal wash and these oral washes, this is going to be a big thing in the future, almost like washing our hands, it's washing our noses. I mean, I think it's going to be a big deal. But this Cofix RX has it all done for you. Um, and so you just use their nasal uh, thing to do it. Uh, speak about that a moment. You're familiar with this, right? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Malcolm. People have been trying to do their own mixes. Right. And uh, and some of the listeners will know what I'm talking about because that happened uh, both to me and my wife, where if you don't make it dilute enough or have the right salt concentration, it can burn up in the nose. And once you squirt it up there, it takes a while to get, get out. So the nice thing about the Cofix RX is that, you know, it's a perfectly a balanced solution. It's not going to burn. Uh, it's going to work every time. Uh, the key thing is when you use it, spray enough up in the nose, do it over the sink because you may get a drip or two that comes down, sniff it way back and then spit it out. It's got to go all the way around nose to mouth and spit it out the mouth. Do it twice on each side. That's a good nasal rinse. You can even gargle a little bit with, um, you know, some Listerine afterwards to, to clear your throat outlet. Uh, it turns out that the best to kill COVID-19 is povidone iodine. That's the ingredient in Cofix RX. What well, one can also use just slightly second best is hydrogen peroxide. And then after that, one can use uh, X-Clear, col- uh, colloidal silver, uh, nasal ozone. There's a whole variety of other solutions. Now, saline alone uh, has a modest effect. Saline's going to need something in it 
to kill the virus. And we work on it in the nose. We know it replicates, the Omicron replicates in the nose 70 times faster than Delta. It's largely a nasal infection. And the only way it can invade the body is if you let it sit in the nose for three to five days and just literally just bake there in the nose. We've got to zap it in the nose, we reduce the viral burden, and the body's immune system finishes it off. You know, I've made a statement on this, and, I, and, and I'm going to tell you and ask you, because you, you haven't heard me make this statement, but, but I told listeners, I told them on the weekend on Viewpoint and told them on, another, on the Voice of a Nation here, um, had from the beginning of this pandemic, had they done more therapeutic preventive treatments like this, but specifically talking about the nasal wash, I mean, I'm, I'm just talking about this right now, something as simple as this. Had they got in front of this, had, had you heard Fauci up on the on the on the on the big mic there, uh, anybody of these people talking about this, instead of you know pushing those vaccines all the time, I'm guessing, I'm I'm thinking, based on the fact that this would kill those that that SARS-CoV-2 right there before it got into your respiratory tract, before it got into your lungs, before it got into your deep lungs, before you were succumbed on a ventilator somewhere. I think we would have saved countless lives. I mean, I, I don't know how many, but I'm thinking it's better than 50%, maybe 70%. Now, am I anywhere in the ballpark on that statement or is that wrong? We don't want to overstate the impact of any single intervention. But the one thing that's very important about this is that everybody can do it at home and be ready. So it can be done on day one. It doesn't take a prescription. There's no delay here. In fact, it can be done at the start of symptoms. The second point is that it's known in a randomized trial by Chowdhury and colleagues that it markedly drops the PCR positivity rate uh, basically by the first few days. So with that knowledge, Malcolm, it reduces the spread of infection. If someone gets COVID and they let it sit in the nose and mouth and literally just kind of hang out right. with it at home, they're infectious for two weeks. Exactly. This can actually reduce the infectivity period probably to a couple of days. And via that method, dramatically reduce the spread of infection. So if this would have happened from the beginning, uh, let's say everybody did this, mm -hmm. new cases would be less. The severity of each individual case would be less. Some cases would be aborted. They clinically wouldn't exactly. get sick. Exactly. And then it would make all of our additional meds that we use work much better. And I want to give credit to uh, Representative Nancy Mace, who's a Republican from South Carolina. She was speaking uh, to, with reporters yes. in Washington, D.C. Yeah. on October 21st, 2021. And it says here, GOP Congresswoman wants to know why the feds have not promoted nasal spray to treat COVID-19. So she was on the right track. Yeah, I remember it. I remember the moment. I remember when she said it, in fact. So the fact we don't know how many lives, but we surely would have saved some lives if had this been done from the beginning. You agree with that? I do. I'm looking at 12 clinical studies with the povidone iodine here yeah. and its effect size. An effect size is how big of a treatment effect does it have for the primary outcome, whether it be death or viral load or hospitalization? And, and the aggregate number here, Malcolm, is a 71% effect size wow. across these for early treatment. Yeah. Now, late treatment, late treatment done in the hospital, believe it or not, late treatment, a 44% effect size. Wow. And then for, for prevention, now we're prevention, we're relying on one trial from SEET, S-E-E-T from Singapore, but the C trial showed a 45% effect size. Okay. So it still works all the way through the spectrum of 
prevention I mean, and treatment. I am stunned. I mean, the numbers you're talking about, I, I'm, I'm really stunned with that. Those percentages are absolutely off the charts. And I'm, I'm convinced. I mean, I'm really excited about this kind of stuff. I, I was excited about povidone iodine when you first bought it up. I remember on the program, I remember, remember I told you, could you do a post up? Remember I said, Get, give me that post and we'll push it out there. And it's become, think about it, Dr. Wheeler, it's become the single most shared post of everything on the platform, that povidone iodine post. Think about that. Well, what I learned is, you know, what people were doing is they were making a giant solution of this. People were making like a leader and there's a leader of this brown solution and they're trying to save it. And and I kept working with uh, key dentists and ENT and nurse practitioners and they worked over and over again. And uh, we basically got it down to a shot glass of water, 1.5 cc's, and then just a half a teaspoon of povidone iodine, pinch of salt. And that's the solution. So a one-time use. I like the idea of squirting up the nose, doing it twice on each side, and then gargling with the rest, yeah. and then literally wa- washing the shot glass. Now the CoFix RX, literally just pull it off the shelf, use it, and put it back on the shelf, and no mess, no spill. Right. Right. Which is great shape. for traveling or home, convenient, easy, whatever it is. It's good. All right. Here, here's the incentive for all of our folks here. I love the product. CoFixRx.com forward slash out loud. I think you know the drill by now. It's 20% off is the negotiated fee here. Uh, you'll get for that. Uh, and there's also one other caveat here, uh, five or more bottles and you get free shipping and handling. And it's all spelled out at that website link, cofixrx.com forward slash out loud. You can also click the banner ad back at America Out Loud. It's all there. Uh, anyways, I recommend that's that. And we're going to be talking lots more about this whole thing because I, I just tell you, there's so much to this povidone iodine and everything we've learned about it. Listen, we're on way off to- schedule here. We got to take a pause. A lot more questions coming back up here you're listening to america out loud pulse you've been in that situation the person next to you is sniffling or worse yet <clears throat> coughing flu cold and coronaviruses are everywhere wouldn't it be great if you had a way to reduce these threats with an invisible mask as an additional layer of protection sold by hundreds of pharmacists and medical doctors our american-made povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray cofix rx Lasts for hours deactivating viruses and germs while protecting you from airborne pathogens that make us sick. America Out Loud listeners get 20% off. Use Cofix RX while in large groups, while traveling, or for any other type of high-risk situation as an additional layer of protection to help reduce your likelihood of catching a cold, the flu, or SARS-CoV-2 viruses. Right now, America Out Loud listeners get 20% off of all orders. Click our banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. 
To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. back here on America Out Loud Pulse. It is Malcolm Out Loud here along with Dr. Peter McCullough and uh, got to get to a lot of questions now. Let's not mess around here. Uh, this first one is from Renee. Uh, she says, uh, hi, Malcolm. Can we please get an update from Dr. McCullough on COVID? He has said that Omicron is the only variant that existed and that is not causing uh, severe illness or deaths. It is also uh, it is also resistant to the vax. If this is all true, what reason is the government given for continuing to encourage the vaccine? That's a real question there, because obviously we talked at the top of the program about the other variant clearly. But her question is, why is the government given for continuing to push that? And especially in our kids, when there's more proof all the time that it can be so dangerous, why can't people see this? It's simple facts. And on, on that point, I got to tell you, on what Renee says there, Dr. McCullough, I have to, I have to share with you, I got a message in this morning that they're trying to push heavy this, uh, uh, this uh, other vaccine uh, for kids under six. Uh, I mean, this is, this is Moderna announced. They're trying to get the FDA to approve it. Now, they know it doesn't work well. It doesn't work as expected, but they're trying to get the FDA to do an EUA on this. And even though it doesn't work, they just feel like it would be very cool to have this for the under six crowd. I mean, that goes along with her question there. Is this crazy or is this crazy? It, it basically is reckless. We never just experiment with young children and their developing bodies with a genetic form of a, a therapy, basically a gene transfer technology. It doesn't raise a significant immunity in the kids, largely, I think, because the kids fight this stuff off. It's Moderna, 25 micrograms. So they've come way down on the dose, a quarter of the 100 microgram adult dose. The kids don't need it because largely most have already had it. Estimates from the UK, and I think the United States, it would be uh, uh, in line with this, about 85% of the kids have already had it. So they have some baseline immunity. They're going to get colds anyway. You can't tell the difference between COVID and the common cold in children this age. Uh, so I, I think the best pathway for parents to keep their kids healthy is no COVID vaccine. There you go. There you go. All right. Ed says, I listen to your show in the Q&A's all the time and really enjoy the information. Uh, does the J&J &J vaccine do what the messenger RNA vaccines do to the body? Stay as, as such as stay in the body for 60 plus days while continuously producing spike proteins, go to the lymph nodes and ovaries. Uh, reverse transcribing the, the human genome uh, and weaken the immune system to potentially increase cancer. Uh, does it do all of that, they're asking? The answer is we simply don't know. J&J &J and AstraZeneca have a completely different mechanism of action. They are using a replication incompetent adenoviral vector where the DNA coding for the spike protein goes into the human nucleus. It produces a human messenger RNA that codes for the spike protein. And that form of the messenger RNA should be a single use dissolvable by an RNA ACE 
uh, enzyme, the spike protein is produced and then that's it. The uh, duration of time that uh, individuals uh, have spike protein production is unknown. And the duration of time that the adenoviral vector is working in the human body is unknown. And you know, for those reasons, one uh, can look at all the data with AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson, and it does have less effectiveness than Pfizer Moderna. But to be honest with you, less effectiveness may be a proxy for the fact that it's not in the body uh, as much, and it doesn't produce as much spike protein, so we don't get so much immunogenicity. So Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca are very much a mystery compared to Moderna and Pfizer, which have gotten all the attention. Okay. All right. I hope that helps, Ed. Uh, and um, uh, this uh, next one is from LC. I gave blood at a big red bus, one blood in April 21, and tested positive for having had COVID. I had blood work for my annual physical done in October 21, and it came back negative for COVID-19 antibodies. Is that possible, or was one test wrong? Is there, is there only one test that blood labs give for C19, or can I request a different test? That's the question. I can tell you that happened to me, Malcolm. Uh, I was uh, using the Quest uh, clinical test uh, to see if I had antibodies to COVID after I recovered. I was part of a research protocol, so I had to go to the lab three times, and I could not hit the Quest antibody positivity level. But then when I gave blood, just like this uh, listener, I did uh, turn positive because the test that they use for the blood banking, at least the one I took, was the orthoclinical diagnostics, which is a lower bar. So the answer is this person really did have COVID and they really do have an immunity. They were able to hit the lower bar, which is the uh, blood banking assay, likely orthoclinical diagnostics, and they didn't hit a clinical assay such as Quest or LabCorp. Okay, this one's from Cheryl. We hear that blood clots are one of the reported adverse events of the COVID shot. We also hear that blood clots are a threat if we have the virus. Which is the greater risk of clots? Both the respiratory infection and the vaccine expose the body to the spike protein, and it's all a matter of degree. So the mildest form of COVID at home that's well-treated, let's say they use Cofix and they uh, do the nasal washes and really keep the viral load down, uh, there's essentially a negligible chance of a blood clot. Now, if we have a severe case of COVID, it gets no treatment at home. Uh, the individual gets hospitalized. They're in the hospital for another four weeks the chances of blood clots are very high. And um, I can tell you, so these severe hospitalized cases, uh, there's a very high rate of blood clots. With the uh, vaccines, each person is different. And uh, one of the leads that we have, it's very likely that those who have an underlying blood clotting disorder, they're likely to form blood clots or they've already had blood clots. They take the vaccine, they're in trouble and they can get a whopper blood clot in the legs. They can have fatal pulmonary embolism. And there's one other scenario I want to warn people about is if they've already had COVID and they've already had one exposure to the spike protein, likely that's in the body for months after the respiratory infection. And then they take the vaccine, they're getting another load of the spike protein and then another shot and then a booster. And it may be progressive loading of the body with the spike protein, which triggers the blood clots. The spike protein is thrombogenic. It, it drives the body to form blood clots. It may be a degree of cumulative exposure that explains why some people are developing blood clots 
either with the respiratory infection or the vaccine. Remember, so many people had COVID-19, the respiratory infection, are also taking the vaccine. Yeah, I believe these blood clots are going to be a real problem in the future for a lot of people. From all the signs I'm seeing, I, I don't, these are not going away. And it's a product of what you say, all the spike proteins and the buildup time after time after time. Yet at the same time, Dr. McCullough, they still want you to go in and get a booster every, what, every couple of months now or something. It, it doesn't make any sense, really. Uh, that was a great question I thought she put out there. Um, Lucia from uh, Toronto, Canada uh, says, thank you for bringing a realistic and balanced discussion around this pandemic during a fear of filled, uh, a filled fear fueled time. Boy, say that fast world three times, a fear filled fear fueled time. <laughs> Uncomfortable. They would like more information about the vaccines before deciding to take one. Still deciding to take one. Wow. I am COVID recovered. Wow. I think it was Omicron, but also extremely worried about reinfection or catching another variant. My questions are, should I get vaccinated to prevent reinfection or minimize symptoms? How long does natural immunity last? If reinfection would occur, uh, how severe would it be? Uh, these are all questions we probably can't answer, or some we can, but uh, I also wonder what is the difference between an unvaccinated COVID-recovered individual and a vaccinated COVID-recovered individual other than the vaccine status? Wow. Well, let's just take the issue of having COVID and recovered. Now, there's a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine from Qatar that looked at that. And the answer is one is very well protected from getting sick again and actually ending up in the ICU or on the mechanical ventilator. So the overall protection from the wild type through the Delta variant was about 60% means means 60% protection against getting Omicron period. But if you got Omicron, uh, there was very little chance that one would get significantly uh, sick and end up in the ICU. So that was actually great news. So this uh, prior infection uh, is in many ways a blessing to get through it and have that natural immunity or have that uh, protection. Now, when we lay around the vaccine, let me just say this, we have no randomized trials demonstrating the vaccine does any value for patients who have already had COVID-19, none. We have multiple studies showing that there's harm. Uh, there are blood clots, there are um, allergic reactions, there are um, uh, other blood disorders that happen that uh, myocarditis, heart injury, that land people in the hospital. So vaccinating on top of having the prior infection, in my view, is a mistake. Remember, the FDA never allowed a COVID-recovered patient to be in a randomized trial because they knew they were going to be harmed with the vaccine. Right. And to be clear with everybody, uh, and I, I think Dr. McCullough will surely back this up, nobody here is anti-vax. Nobody. I, I'm not. Dr. McCullough's not. Nobody is. That's not our message. That's not what we're doing here, by the way. So don't anybody leave here. Oh, my God, these people. That's not what the message is here. I mean, anti-vax that are not working, anti-EUA vaxxers that not had the proper studies and revised trials you're speaking about. Yeah. Anti all those things. Anti-bad science, but not anti-vax. Is, is that a true statement, Dr. McCullough? It's true. You know, I personally have taken all the vaccines and the vaccine schedule. I traveled to India. My wife and I took additional vaccines. My kids have- Not the COVID ones the now you're speaking about. Not yeah, the COVID. Yeah, well, well you know, I, I had COVID. Like you, I had COVID. Right. So once you, right. you, you know, the, the vaccines are only indicated to prevent COVID when you haven't had it. Once you've had right, COVID, right. it's too late for the vaccine. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I just bring that up again when I say that to you, not COVID, because listeners will send me messages afterward and say, oh, my God, McCullough said he had all the vaccines. Not the COVID. He's not talking about these current ones in COVID. So to be clear. All right. Last one here before this uh, point I want to make. Olivia says uh, a question regarding shedding of the spike protein by the vaccinated to the unvaccinated. Uh, li- listen to this one. I have bought a house and I'm concerned if there is a risk from the previous occupants. I can't imagine there is, is there? You know, I, I honestly think that shedding is is largely overstated and it's driven by fear and, and a lot of unknowns. Yeah, I can't imagine that doesn't. Uh, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, listen, we are bringing more and more products out here to help us. It, it, what's going to happen in a post-COVID world? It's about quality of life. What I mentioned even a couple of months back to you, Dr. McCullough, was we've learned so much through all of us. Even lay people have learned so much about COVID. It's in one good way, the silver lining on all this is it's educated the public in ways that we never thought we would have to be educated on or need to be. But it's also made us aware of our immune systems, made us aware of blood clots and myocarditis. It's made us aware of all of these things now that I think are really, really crucial for a quality of life. I want to mention quickly a terrific partner we have, the Genesis Fogger, I want to tell you about right now. And because of the pathogens that are airborne in all of these viruses, superbugs, diseases, anything like that. So if you're having an event, a party, your home, you want to clean it out, the way to do it is this fine mist. You put HOCl, the hypochlorous acid, into the fogger, and it throws it into the air. Uh, you talked about this on the McCullough Report. You really did uh, a tremendous talk on this, actually, on the weekend, Dr. McCullough, this fogger, which kind of kills all the pathogens in the ear. This is kind of a new thing, this new tool. Uh, I mean, it is new technology kind of thing, and, and putting this, it's a dry mist, actually, into the ear. Uh, from a science standpoint, does, is it effective? Can it be effective? Oh, it's very effective. You know, sodium uh, uh, hypochlorite or uh, uh, HOCl, it it kills coronavirus. There's no doubt about it. But the really attractive thing about this, Malcolm, is uh, there are so many household hazards and pathogens. You know, the big one on the list is mold. Oh, my Lord. You know, people get mold allergies. Uh, You know that musty smell you have in carpets? Those are dust mites. Those are organisms that live on human skin and hair. And I tell you, my wife and I fired up the Genesis Fogger. And I tell you, that is a horse. That really, really works. So will and, this do it against um, mold as well, you're saying? Is that what it, I'm hearing? It is basically cleansing. You can use wow. it almost in any application now. So it's going to work against dust mites, other bacterial pathogens. Wow. You know, when you have elderly people in the house, there's a risk for Clostridium difficile, what's called C. diff. It's a terrible form of a contact diarrhea. It's going to work there. Uh, younger families uh, can end up with uh, what's called the Norwalk virus. That's what gets on cruise ships, what have you. I think that look, this is going to end up being broadly used. It's an innovation. It really atomizes uh, the disinfectant, so it makes it far more um, applicable and utilizable almost anywhere. Yeah, so this is new for us here, but it's it's exciting uh, stuff. I didn't know the 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 variations that uh, you were just talking about, but I'm thrilled to hear that. Listen, I had a very dear friend who was very sickened by mold uh, on top of other things. And it got, I mean, it, it wreaks havoc on your body. Like there's no tomorrow. I mean, you'll, you'll end up in sick, like you haven't been sick before. I really started to get aware of this mold thing more than I ever, I mean, it's, it's a big, much bigger than we can talk about right now, but it, it 
but it's a big deal. Anyways, the genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud. Same thing there. Here's the deal now. If you use the out loud code, 15% off that fogger, 15% off the fogger, uh, the machine right there. Simple done. Uh, and the other thing about that website is there's some uh, scientific finance, a lot of information there. They've got a wealth of knowledge there. These are very good people. They're Christian people. They want to help folks. Genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud. It sounds like this will be a thing of the future for all of us, uh, kind of a household thing we'll be using here. Uh, we'll take another real quick pause here. We'll be back with you just in a moment here on America Out Loud Pulse. In today's world, there's no escaping the headlines filled with warnings about emerging viruses and dangerous superbugs. Genesis is the only technology that safely and effectively obliterates harmful pathogens both in the air and on surfaces. Genesis plus HOCL neutralize these threats to your environment in just seconds. Find out more about this amazing technology at genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a 15% discount. With Genesis, you'll be prepared for what's next. We bring it back to you here with all of these great questions and you can send your questions in to uh, the network here at liberty at uh, americaoutloud.com is is how you can send them in we'll get them in and we get lots of them we'll do our best to get to them uh each week as we do this program every wednesday um, and I want to tell you, The Pulse is just absolutely terrific. It is a brand new program for us here on America Out Loud. Uh, every Monday, you hear Dr. Marilyn Singleton. Again, love, love, love. I was listening to her this past Monday. She did a great job. Um, she's, uh, I, I'm going to be calling her in the future, Marilyn Out Loud, uh, <laughs> because she, she cuts through the chatter and gets to the point. Tuesday, love this duo here, the, the co-host, Dr. Jordan Vong and Dr. Stuart Tankersley of Concerned Doctors, a phenomenal group out of Alabama, terrific people on the front lines doing all the things to save people. Uh, and in fact, Dr. McCullough had him on the McCullough Report uh, this past weekend. It's on podcast now. You can listen to them there. But they're on every Tuesday. Wednesday, right here, you're listening to uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. And uh, my pleasure here, Malcolm Out Loud, with uh, uh, my brother here, Dr. Peter. So uh, now Thursday, Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan, his wife, probably the most delightful couple you'll ever meet in your life. Very sincere, beautiful people. And he wrote the book, The Global Predators, We Are the Prey, there every Thursday. And Friday, very interesting fellow. I had him on Viewpoint on the weekend. I really like him. Uh, smart as a whip, knows a ton of stuff. Uh, Dr. James Lyons Weiler, uh, smart, smart guy. You know, I was told as a young guy, surround yourself with the smartest people and you'll do well. Man, I took that lesson to heart. I got to tell you that, McCullough. Uh, this one's from Jerry. Uh, and, and this goes back to your earlier part, uh, point when we started off about the McCullough Protocol, actually. Can the McCullough Protocol be generalized and used for other viral illnesses like influenza or the common cold? You know, Malcolm, I don't think so, because uh, COVID-19 is such a unique illness. The, uh, the middle inflammatory phase is driven by interleukin-6, which we've never seen in other infections. And then what COVID-19 does that the flu doesn't and other illnesses, it causes blood clotting, which is new. And so the use of anticoagulants is in the McCullough protocol. I think the most generalizable thing for the common cold and other illnesses, honestly, is the virucidal nasal and oral washes. 
And then the use of nutraceuticals and supplements, particularly vitamin D. I've been very interested in this exquisite relationship between vitamin D and positive COVID outcomes, particularly achieving a level of 50 or greater in the bloodstream. There's almost a zero chance you can get COVID and let alone uh, die or be hospitalized with COVID. Well, for that, I take Healthy Cell Immune Super Boost, uh, and uh, that's a whole other story, but that's what I take. I've taken it for four years, but that's why we recommend it. All right, uh, Lisa uh, says, um, hello, Malcolm and Dr. McCullough. My husband and I listen to you all the time. Uh, so I like Lisa already. I have a question for Dr. McCullough. I'm a 61-year-old female with mild asthma, slightly overweight. I am considered high risk and have not had a vaccination or COVID. Now that this, uh, these restrictions are being phased out and the coming of the BA2 and now these other things we're talking about, what do we need to do to keep safe during this time? I take the supplements, nasal wash and gargle. Is this all we need to do or should I take IVM prophylactically when traveling or routinely take once a week? You know, I do not think any additional prophylaxis is needed right now. I'm not taking all my patients off of the weekly hydroxychloroquine or the twice weekly ivermectin. I would say with one example is that if her asthma was serious enough where she needed a prednisone 20 milligrams a day or more, which is rare, and I have a couple of those patients in my practice, they would need the EvuShield shot. So I would get them the AstraZeneca EvuShield shot every six months as a preventive. Mary says, I would like to offer my brother some studies that show the effectiveness of ivermectin in treating COVID-19. He continues to claim the studies have shown no reduction in illness or hospitalization. Can you please provide that information to me? What's the study? There's several that do that, right? The best place to go is c19study.com, c19study.com, and then click on ivermectin. It will list over 70 studies, over uh, 35 randomized trials. The randomized trials in aggregate show about a 55% effect size. That means they improve things about 55%. Uh, and that's substantial. We would take any, we would take thing as low as a, a 15% improvement, but 55% improvement is excellent. The most recent trial is called the TOGETHER trial. It was published in New England Journal of Medicine and the trial was too small to see a statistically significant benefit, but all the patients who received ivermectin, they all did better than those who didn't. And they only gave three days of it at 400 micrograms per kilogram. And, and that's too short and it's too late into the state. So if we use ivermectin early combined with our other drugs, we turn people around and I believe it still has a strong role in the sequence multi-drug therapy of COVID-19. Yeah. It surely worked with uh, with my wife, um, uh, the, the ivermectin, that is, amongst other things, that multi-regimen, the protocol that Dr. McCullough had talked about is a lifesaver. Uh, Mallory uh, says, um, I had a mild case of COVID in May uh, of 2020. I recently tested and do not have antibodies, but I do have T cells. Should I have protection against uh, getting very ill if I uh, if I get reinfected again, or should I get one dose of the vaccine? She's asking. Wow. No, the vaccine is not indicated. She's already had COVID nineteen. Uh, the vaccine it can, and in fact, will cause harm in people who are needlessly vaccinated after they've already had the virus. She should be ready to use the virucidal nasal washes, and she could get Omicron. And if she does, it's going to act like a natural booster. It's going to be like a very mild cold. 
Use the nasal washes, gargle. Now, when you gargle, by the way, whether you use povidone, iodine, hydrogen peroxide, or good old Listerine, I tend to use Listerine because I want to clear my mouth and throat of the uh, iodine. I use Listerine. Make sure you put your neck back and do it for 30 seconds. You got to get 30 seconds of contact back there. That's longer than what most people think, but it is an effective gargle. Okay, last real quick question here. I'm going to squeeze in here from Peggy. I'm 62 years old, physically fit. I've had no vaccines and was infected with likely Delta. Uh, my oxygenation dropped to 87 and I was hospitalized, given oxygen. Uh, they pushed remdesivir. I refused. After three days, I went home on oxygen for two more weeks. CT showed moderate load of blood clots in both lungs and now on Eliquis for six months. Is that long enough? My pulmonologist says I can uh, still get Omicron and won't comment on what the chances are of getting severe COVID again. So is that long enough, she's saying, asking. It may not be. I tell you, I tend to do some additional tests to try to determine that, Malcolm. I have been impressed with how long these blood clots stay. I've had some people need blood thinners for over a year. Wow, incredible. That's all the time we have. Uh, we have fit a lot in here. We'll get to a lot more. There's a lot more on vaccine injuries and people that are struggling with that than others. Uh, but uh, that is where we're at today. Remember now to tune in every day, 5 p.m. 10 p.m. is an encore too later in the day. Uh, all these shows will be uh, found on podcasts the following day. Now, there's going to be a wealth of information coming to you that I guarantee you. Pleasure and privilege of doing America Out Loud Pulse in now a hopefully soon a post-COVID world is to really elevate the consciousness and to help us all out live a more fulfilling life. And I'm delighted. I'm absolutely delighted to be in the arena of life with these kinds of people that you're hearing right now on this program and our experts all across. One of the beautiful pleasures of this platform, my friends, is the experts we have. Go look at our team and look at the brilliance on there. Uh, it's incredible. So I think that old story is a young lad when they tell you, you know, you probably heard as well when you were a kid, surround yourself with the people that are smarter than you, the smartest people you can. Man, I'll tell you what, I did that. And here we are today, America Out Loud. It's all back there, friends. Get over there and share the out loud truth. Thank you for joining us on the mission here. It's time to get involved and get loud.